Guru Nation, welcome to episode 391 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this interview, I actually talked to Dr. Boris Nikolov from Miami. He owns a huge site there. They do about 80 to 90 studies in any given year in a, the most competitive market that clinical re- that is known to clinical research in Miami, Florida. We talk a lot about how he got started, but then we focus even more on strategies that sites might be able to use, things such as employee retention, training of the staff, patient recruitment, physicians, working with sponsors, the future of trials. I mean, we really get into a lot of things here, so check that out. Also check out my Patreon channel, patreon.com slash Links are in the show notes. It's only five bucks a month. I have a monthly mastermind where we all meet once a month virtually to discuss business, how it's going, what we're doing to grow our business, Uh, a lot of mindset stuff, but also a lot of practical digital marketing, social media stuff that you can implement for your business, how to create side businesses. There's a lot on there, weekly videos plus a monthly mastermind all for five bucks a month. Check that out in the show notes. If you're a site that needs more studies, text me, 949-415-6256. We actually help sites with this all the time. Also, check out the CRA Academy, CRC Academies. Links are in the show notes. And with that being said, I really hope you enjoy this interview. It was really fun to record. Hello, Guru Nation. Welcome back to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I've got Dr. Boris Nikolov on from Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. He's with IMIC, IMIC Research. Uh, As you can see by his shirt, if you're watching on a video, Uh, if you're listening, check him out. The links are in the show notes to his LinkedIn profile, as well as the YouTube video. We'll have links to Dr. Nikolov's uh, LinkedIn profile. So we're going to talk about, we want this to be kind of informative for the sites. Um, not enough, even with the podcast and videos I'm doing, it's still not enough for the sites. And right now there's pretty challenging times during coronavirus pandemic and a lot of uncertainty, but the industry is still busy at the same time. It's very strange what kind of, uh, you know, landscape we're dealing with in our industry. I think we're fortunate because we're in a relatively good industry compared to other ones. I thank God every day I'm not in hospitality or entertainment right now because that's those people are not some of those jobs never coming back, you know, but clinical research is showing, hey, this is actually at the forefront of fighting this thing. I mean, this is so now the public is becoming aware of the clinical research. You're going to have a lot of doctors now, Dr. Nikolov wanting to do what you do and so we wanted to start by sharing a little bit about who you are how you got started just so we have some context of what IMIC IMIC research is doing and then uh, we can get into some some strategies for the sites that are already up and running so thank you very much for coming on sure thank you for having me it's a pleasure so how did you get started? Give us like a two-minute summary of who you are and how does somebody gets into research. Sure. See, I graduated medicine in Bulgaria. Um, 
was doing some research there, but that was a long time ago, 1994. So after that, actually, I came to the States. And for circumstances and situations, I needed to go back to Bulgaria. So that was 2006. And we created a big research site there, Acta Medica, which started dealing with a lot of different studies, a lot of specialties. It was a big hospital. And then subsequently, we opened a site here in Miami, and we have been very successful enrolling patients in multiple uh, specialties, multiple diagnoses, multiple studies. We have uh, a large database of patients, and thanks God we've been really successful. Obviously, there is a couple of maybe months or years that hasn't been so good, but in others, it's been all right. Uh, okay. We do uh, studies in gastroenterology, psychiatry, neurology, pediatrics, and now we're going to start uh, sports medicine, physical medicine, pain, ma pain management. Wow, okay. So, are you PI for all these studies, or what, what's the structure? Like? No, uh, we work with multiple physicians with multiple specialties, uh, gastroenterologists as well. Um, and everyone, I'm, I don't have a, a specialty, so I usually a survive or a PI in certain studies. But the majority of studies, I'm a super investigator. Okay. There have been a PI in number of studies too in Bulgaria. Sure. In the past. But you're the owner. You're the owner of uh, IMIC research. I'm one of the owners. Correct. And, and what, research. What was the idea? Like, how did you even get like from Bulgaria? You were introduced to research, uh, like from an academic perspective. Right? So how does that yeah, happen? it was really interesting. It was really interesting because in Bulgaria and in other countries in, uh, in Europe, the research was done only in academic centers, universities. So there was some change in the legislature, legislature and clinical sites and small hospitals were allowed to start doing research. So that's how we started and uh, we opened the research clinic there and subsequently here. I gotcha. And then when you, so what year did you open it here in Miami and in, in the United States? 2009. 2009, okay. And so your first year, what was the challenges? I'm assuming you were the PI, uh, but what were some of the challenges? Uh, you uh, found uh, coordinators or, what, you know, what were some of the, because the first year. Well, the challenges was actually to, yeah, the beginning is always difficult no matter what you do. Uh, the challenges was actually to find trials. Uh, because, you know, we are having a very small office, <laughs> very few patients, and um, it was hard to find, but when you start a couple of trials and then people know you, refer patients, right. refer studies, and kind of things work on their own little by little. But th that first year, I tell all of our clients, because we, we're in the business, we own our own sites too here, mostly in Southern California. But we have clients across the country, sometimes even across the world. We've had clients in South Africa, Eastern Europe, but usually it's United States, all over the U.S. We help them get studies. And we always tell them, because we work with research-naive physicians, we always tell them your first year, maybe even your first two years, are going to be the most challenging years. If you can survive those two years and learn the process, okay, because you're going to learn... Right. A lot. I mean, I'm sure we both have stories. We can do a five-hour podcast on just <laughs> the stuff we've learned in our first two years. You know, when I first True. started, 
monitor asked me, "What's a Cle do you have a Clio waiver? And I said, of course I do. And then I had to go Google. And you Google it. <laughs> I had to go Google, but I didn't know what she said, Clia. I thought she said clear, like clear color. So I Googled clear waiver. I couldn't find anything. I was like, what is this thing she's asking about? You know, but these are the things you got to learn. They write, they're yeah, using acronyms. True. Like, you know, so the first A lot years, of acronyms. Tons. Too many. And maybe, why is the industry use so many acronyms? You think they're like very closed, like they don't want more people to get in? Because we need more investigators. We need more sites. We obviously need more patients. Right. What's What's the deal with this? Uh, this is a very good question, actually, because I, I was thinking about that myself. Somebody recently asked me, what's Alcola? I was like, Jesus, I know what it means, but I don't make this spell. That I, don't, <laughs> I don't know each word. But yeah, um, I don't know, honestly. That's kind of, I guess there is so many terms that it's very difficult to tell them out loud the long version. Yeah. So you start using the short version just for benefit of, I don't know, I guess easy, so. to be I more guess. easy. I guess so. I think, yeah. You Do you go to conferences? Like when, you know, now there's no conferences except virtual. But like back in the days, bef before <laughs> yeah. Corona, uh, BC, before Corona, you, we used to go to conferences. <laughs> Did you go to a lot of these conferences and network with other sites? We do. We did. But then we stopped and we st kind of started. We had a lot of presentations, a couple of the conferences. Yeah. Like uh, Magi. Mm. So networking is important, like Magi, we used to go to these conferences. What about now? What are you doing now um, uh, for, for iMake Research uh, during this pandemic? Like, how are you getting studies? Because we're seeing a lot of studies, but like, how are you making sure that your pipeline is always full? Because that's really important. That's the most important thing right there. Well, we've been uh, thinking a lot about that, actually. Uh, there is... We are in all the databases of the CROs, some of the pharma. Um, but what we found actually more helpful is working with uh, sites, not CMO, because that's like almost a SMO, but uh, bad word. Right. <laughs> but anyway, like Clean Edge, we started just working with them actually. Site networks, yeah. Site networks. Those are good, you know, and maybe we should talk because we have... Um we have a good, like a low-cost solution for this as well, sure. for getting studies. Uh, but that's important. The pipeline, the importance of keeping the pipeline is, uh, is I mean, there's nothing else really. And then you have to worry about getting the patients for these studies. So what have been some of the strategies? Because right now we're seeing, uh, you know, in 2020, we are seeing a lot of studies. We were seeing a lot in 2019 as well. But we're seeing they're complicated studies. They're not so. They're getting more and more complicated. More and more complex. I think what they're trying to do, they're trying to combine two or three studies in one. So like efficacy measures, uh, secondary efficacy measures, and then instead of doing one straightforward study, you end up doing one more complicated that will do three results for the same thing. Yeah, but what it's do you think about them. that? Because I know it's cheaper and the data is probably better. But it's not indicative of like those patients that they're like when these studies get overly complex with inclusion exclusion, it's not indicative mm -hmm. of the average patient on the street, you know, with the same condition. So, you know, what is your thoughts on this? And have you talked to any sponsors about this uh, recently? 
Yeah, we usually send our comments when we receive some feasibility or before they they start finalizing the the projects. It is very true to change their mind. So basically, we try to adapt. But you're right. Patients certainly will not be the general type of patients. Will be more narrow type of asthma, let's say, patients that would be enrolled in those studies. That's right. How are you guys getting these patients? Like, is your site built on your PI's private practice, or are your PI's not in private practice? How does it work for you guys? We are maybe a unique site. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) But we have a large database of research patients that uh, have participated in a study with us before. So we always tell them, look, we're going to have it in mind for the next study. A lot of patients call us, referred by other patients, so we enter them in the database. When a study shows up for that indication, we'll call you. And also the PIs have a, usually a very large clinical practice in which we invite patients from there by looking into their uh, medical records or talking to the patients that are scheduled for certain procedures or diagnosis or taking certain medications. So it has been relatively easy with the exception of Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Yeah, these studies, a lot of those studies has been (laughs) being uh, very complicated first, as you said, and then a lot of studies are there to compete with a limited number of patients, let's put it that way. Even though we apparently were more successful than the University of Miami Gastroenterology Clinic enrolling patients, so not to brag, but just a little bit. Well, oftentimes private sites are better equipped at not only enrolling the patients, but uh, doing the work. You know, a lot of these academic Correct. centers, I mean, they have residents doing the study coordinator. The residents Correct. don't even care about the study. Yeah. You know, or a exactly. lot of these... Exactly, the principal a- doesn't know anything about anything there. I mean... Yeah, and even worse if they're a key opinion leader, you know, because then the sponsor, <laughs> no matter what they do, the sponsor is still going to use them because they're prestigious, right. you know, university. You see that here a lot too with a lot of the UCs. And the UCs actually are good compared to other places in the country. But uh, yeah, you see a lot of this like disinterested uh, academic medical centers uh, and then like you see private sites outperforming them regularly even though the volume of patients is 10 times more if not 100 times more at these academic centers uh, but they have so, all, they also have so many studies to compete like right. uh, one of the places I monitor because I'm a contract monitor as well one of the academic centers I monitor, they have like a thousand studies at any given time. I mean, it's huge, huge. So what's one study to that? I mean, the PI might not even realize they have that study uh, at some point. Um, so, you know, like how do they pick a patient to go to a specific study? Exactly. Like how they pick the study, I mean, it's like... They don't tell you, it's a, it's secret. It's their SOPs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the SOPs. <laughs> But uh, no, that's yeah, a good point. Sure. It's a good point. And also the local IRBs, you know, there's a lot of advantages to being private sites. The majority of studies are 
done mostly by private sites. You know, you have some anchor right. academic medical centers for each study usually. Usually it's a key opinion leader, um, and, and it's also prestigious to have that name on clinicaltrials.gov. But really, like, the majority of the enrollment comes from private community clinics, private which site. is something doctors That's don't realize right now. Correct. That's how it is. Yeah, it's something like a lot of physicians now that, you know, a lot of physicians have actually been furloughed during this pandemic. And so they're looking, yeah, they might be listening surprising. to this podcast. They might want to go onto your LinkedIn profile, Dr. Nikolov, and say, hey, how did you do this? I want to do this in Chicago. Um, so the blueprint is here, guys. Like, it's really just, it's a simple thing. It's getting the studies and getting the patients and doing the work doing the work on the correctly. study. I need to emphasize on doing, doing the work correctly because you may be successful for a year or two, but if you don't do the work correctly, that's going to be it. And what do you mean by the work correctly? Because um, let's make this like... Like, tactical. I mean, really follow the protocol, really do everything GCP. I mean, I've seen so many colleagues that don't care. Like, oh, we're going to get the money and then whatever. The coordinator will finish. It's not the coordinator's job to do many things that the physician needs to do. Right. PI oversight is a huge issue in the industry. It's usually the biggest finding of an FDA audit is the lack of a PI oversight. Have you guys gone through FDA audit? You know, we've been lucky, but maybe now we'll be having it any moment. <laughs> any moment. It's a lot of years. We've been any lucky moment. too. We've been lucky too at our sites. I've only had a FDA, I've had an encounter with the FDA agent once, okay. came unannounced to one of my sites, uh, was looking for a PI who no longer worked with us for years, and I knew where wow. he had his new office. He started his new clinic, and they were looking for him. And because our SEO was better, search engine optimization, they found our place instead of his place. Uh, and so I asked them what right. study it is, and I was crossing my fingers. It's not one of our studies we had with him, and it wasn't. It was one of the studies that I didn't recognize. So I said, hey, his office is over there. Give them the address. Right there. Yeah, and <laughs> that's it. That was the extent of my FDA interaction. <laughs> Uh, as a site, well, as a CRA, I've had right. you know FDA audits, but I wasn't there with the auditor. Yeah, usually CRAs are not. Usually not. Usually not. But usually, you know, if you're a monitor, if your sites are gonna get audited, then you go in and do a cleanup. You know, before right. the FDA goes to the site. But yeah, I mean, you know, one of the biggest issues, I was talking to a sponsor earlier today, and they're looking to get more minority participation in research. So they want more. And I told them, my theory is you need more research naive physicians that serve those patients in the communities. Like where you are in Miami, perfect example, you want Latin, Hispanic uh, population, you got it in Miami. You know, if you want, like you got to go to the inner cities to get African-American population. And there's not a lot of research centers in these areas outside of the academic medical centers. And... Uh, well, Miami is a little bit different. Miami, I think, has too many research centers but that's my opinion what do you think uh, why is that <laughs> Miami has this bad reputation for sites alright uh, that's what I going back to my previous thought just so we had a lot of colleagues unfortunately who were just 
doing the numbers, not the work. But why just and there? And I think that's I not mean, helpful to anybody. That should be across the country, though. Why is it Miami is so prevalent with this? It's not even well, one of the biggest unfortunately, cities. Unfortunately, there is a lot of, uh, I think, fraud-prone people in Miami. Okay. Like that will lead me, for example, to patients that go to multiple studies. I mean, that's not a problem only in Miami, but it's one of the cities that we see that more and more. Hmm. And um, it's very unfortunate for everybody involved, but uh, people just don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. Like, how do you, this perfect example? Because you are a good example of a successful client. Believe it or not. For our DSCS, which you see behind me, the DSC, this is how we help sites get studies and do budgets right. and all that stuff. Our most successful clients of all time have both been from Florida, one in Orlando, one in Miami. I mean, multiple, you know, seven-figure sites and started from nothing, from zero, just like you. So if you can make it in that market... You know, you're like an example to someone in another place, like in the Midwest. You know, the clients that are like in Iowa and Kansas, they can get all the studies we apply for because there's no competition yeah. there. Uh, nobody competes there. Nobody, but you're you're being successful in a, the most competitive market. So, what what has been your? You know, you've been doing this since 2009, what, like 11 years now. What has been your uh, secret to success? Well, one of the main things that we always try to do is meet our enrolling expectations um, on time and overperform. And obviously not uh, screwing up on the way because, again, we need to do the work right. Uh, I've noticed something also, I don't want to label, you know, uh, nationalities, but unfortunately there is some people that uh, don't care so much about quality like uh, protocol would say do that do that do that in a specific order and they would think oh i can do it but doesn't need to be in that order mm. and then why do you decide that i mean it's right there <laughs> it needs to be done that way and uh, that's why we were been very lucky with our staff people that uh, we trained along the way and are very lucky with them very good people professionals what is what does your staff consist of? Because you have a lot of indications now. You have yeah. a lot of. We have. Uh, um, you know how many yeah. sites? How many coordinators? PIs? No, we just have one site. We are okay. relatively small. We have uh, six PIs, seven now, and we have eight research coordinators, two part-time research coordinators, or one um, recruitment specialist, hmm. uh, one lab technician, uh, two assistants and uh, one pharmacy technician. And we have one advanced registered nurse practitioner who is serving as a super investigator for a lot of the studies. She's on site all the time. And now we have a physician on site all the time. So we are very lucky with that too. What's your average yearly number of studies you guys conduct? Around 80, 90. 80 or 90, wow. Okay, so that's a huge site. Like, what is the, how many square feet are we talking about? Is the entire building, or what What do you have? Well, we have uh, three buildings. We actually, they're small offices put together, three buildings. 
approximately we're talking 4,500 square feet. Okay. We're actually constructing a new office building now because we really need to expand. And that's we're at least really, working on the project. That's a really good problem to have. Do you do uh, inpatient? Do you yeah. have inpatient <laughs> capabilities? We have very limited. Uh, we have only three beds, and we try to avoid them because we don't have uh, sufficient staff to do that. But if something shows up for limited number of patients, limited number of nights, we'll take it. Mm. And with the new facility, we'll have a 10-bed inpatient facility, hopefully in a year and a half. Wow. Yeah, 80 to 90 sites is huge. I mean, you're probably, for as far as private now Remember, sites, we're not doing a lot of patients. Like, some of these are heart indications right. that you can enroll. Like, on an asthma study, we can enroll 20, 30, 40 patients. On ulcerative colitis, we can enroll one to three. Right. A lot of yes, that's the. This is how the industry has changed, if anything, from when I started to now. You used to be able in 2005, 2006 to get just a few studies, like two studies. Right. If you had two studies, you can support back then like six staff, six coordinators, right. and, you know, some a couple PIs, because you can enroll like 20, 30 patients in each one, and the budgets are pretty right. good. Now you need more studies. Because you can only put maybe one to five in each study. Is that what you're seeing? Like from these 80... That's exactly what I'm seeing. From these 80 studies exactly. that you have, like what percentage of them are um, very low enrolling studies? <laughs> 90, 92. <laughs> okay. Wow. Wow. Okay. And what, you know, Chris I and mean, I... That's what they expect. The study is so difficult that you can't enroll more patients. Yeah. Even if you want to. I think the worst thing for a site um, to do, Chris and I always advise our clients when they ask us, hey, this study is complicated, should we take it? We always tell them, look, if you think you can enroll one to three studies or one to three patients in this study, you should do it. Don't take it if you don't think you can get anybody because if the worst thing you can do to a sponsor is give them zero, zero patients. They'll love very, you if you do one. That's a very good advice. Yeah, that's a very good advice. Yeah, we should all abide by that. Uh, we've been doing it like that too. During the beginning, I was like, oh, let me see. Maybe we'll get that. Maybe we'll find patients later. Not a good idea for anybody involved. Zero is the worst number you can give to a pharma. I mean, they have they have sunken costs that go into your site, you know, just to activate your site. The CRA fees, all the vendors, they have to pay for all these vendors per site. So they Correct. really don't like that. But if you get at least one, they may not be th okay. the happiest with <laughs> you, but they get some data out of it, and they even come back to you again for more studies. Correct. If your work was, totally if your okay. work was decent. If your work was decent. I agree. Um, I think in Miami to stand out, and in also in LA where I'm located, I think because we have a little bit of that competition, not as bad a reputation as Miami with the, uh, but it, you know, it, but the competition is there. The duplicate patients problem oh, yeah. is here as well. Uh, I think in places like where we are, you have to focus on your quality more than other places more than other uh, sites i think because okay. i at a dia i think it was dia last year 
in 2019 here in San Diego, uh, I met with several of the large CROs and I asked them all, they were like the managers in charge of getting sites. I asked them all, hey, what are you looking for? Because we have the site network, all this stuff. What are you looking for for sites? They said the number one most important thing is patience. Patience and speed. How quickly can you get started? And then how quickly can you get us the data? And then we asked them, well, sure. what about quality? You know, what about how fast they answer queries? Or, uh, and they said, they stopped me right there and said, no, that doesn't matter to us. What matters is the patience and the startup. So, really? uh, exactly. But I think you and I are shocked because of where we're located. I think we're expected to have the quality as well. More. But I think in other sites, like in other locations, it's a little more lenient on that because there's not the competition there is what I'm gathering from these conversations. I was shocked too. I said, hey, the most important thing is the quality of the data, right? Like, uh, yeah. And they said, of course, that's important, but it's a distant thought. You know, What we want is the patience. We want the numbers and we want you start up quickly and we want the data entered relatively quickly. So yeah, that's true. I mean, it's very important for them to start the study on, on plant. We've been uh, one of the first sites to start, what do you call it, the pilot sites, mm -hmm, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, if they don't enroll patients, the study won't have any data. Doesn't matter if it's quality or not quality. But obviously, we'll, we'll still need to do the quality. Anybody, right. everybody should do it. Now, during coronavirus, so... A lot of sites had to furlough yeah. staff. A lot, you know, a lot of even CROs. Did you guys have to do any of that? No, we've been again very lucky. Um, we were part of the what do you call it? Uh, no, no. What do you call it? Uh, essential. Importance. Essential. Essential. <laughs> essential people. Uh, it's very funny how people are div divided in essential and non-essential. But I guess. We were essential. So we were staying open. Obviously, we took a lot of measures as far as disinfection, protection of staff, protection of patients. Are patients Were patients still visiting the site or were you doing like telehealth sure. visits? What, what, what was no, we were trying to avoid telehealth as much as possible. I personally don't think that coronavirus is such a threat, but that's my personal opinion. Um, after that, obviously, we took all the precautions. Patients were wearing masks, staff is wearing masks, disinfection very frequently of surfaces, hands. We started uh, fumigating with disinfector daily, all the areas and surfaces, um, and obviously asking patients whether they have symptoms or don't have symptoms before they come to the site. We started giving away a lot of masks to patients because they couldn't even find masks. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's helpful to everybody. And then we actually went a little bit further. We implemented uh, a system of uh, scanning or looking for IgM, IgG antibodies. Though obviously right now the industry is not very clear what the results really mean. <laughs> right. uh, we've been trying to screen patients for IgM and IgG. And if they have IgM positive, we will do a swap and send them home. If it's negative, we bring them back and uh, continue the visit. Did you change your SOPs for this? We we did 
we didn't change SOP because I personally don't like to change SOPs in details because I need to really abide by them. But we have an operating procedure okay. for that. And what about, because this is like a lot of our clients are now coming to us because we help sites negotiate their budgets too. Especially sure. when they're newer, they need more help with that. Um, we also create source and all that stuff for them. Uh, but we had a lot of clients coming to us and say, hey, you know, we need to increase our overhead because of these extra measures that we're taking. And it looks, it sounds like you're taking a lot of precautions there. Are you increasing your overheads for these studies? This is a very good question. And um, we're actually discussing right now exactly that situation. Our overhead went 5%. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to renegotiate those contracts. So we are asking for reimbursement of uh, uh, personal protection equipment for the tests. And let's see, some sponsors have been responsible and <laughs> uh, agreeing to pay and reimburse us. Some say flatly no. So at the moment I was like, okay, then you patients are not going to be enrolled in my in this study in my site until this thing finishes. I mean, it's simple. Right, which uh, <laughs> is going to take a long time for this thing to finish. Yeah. According to, <laughs> I mean, I really don't understand. Uh, it's I don't know. To me, it's like a disinterest. Like we're not going to pay you for that. Then can you send me some PPE because it's hard to find it? And he said no. But you know what? Two, two sponsors actually send us PPE and I'm going to shout, do a shout to them. That's Isai and the other one was AstraZeneca. Wow. Because other people would say, no, hmm. flatly. I'm not going to reimburse you. I don't want to send you PPE. Wow. Yeah, so then how can you see the patients <laughs> if that's the case? From our experiences, roughly half of the sponsors agree to the increase in overhead. Um, oh really? Yeah. Good. If you, if you, so now maybe it's going to start some kind of uh, usual thing, and then people will agree. I think this is like everything that you, if you can increase your overhead, because like you said, this coronavirus thing's never going to end. I mean, there's theories that it's going to keep coming back every year like a flu. Yeah. So that's going to maybe be a permanent part of the overhead now. Like these procedures we're doing might just be permanent. You know, uh, so it, it is very expensive. Yeah, yeah, it may not hurt to go ask, uh, you know. That's a very good question. I, I think so, too. Uh, what is your thoughts on the state of the industry now? Like, you're seeing, are you so you have 80 studies at any given time. How many are in the pipeline? Like, because I've seen a lot from March until recently. I've seen so many feasibility surveys. I mean, I've never seen this many uh, in a long time. So I'm sure you're seeing the same kind of thing, right? We, we've seen a lot of studies. I think the industry is um, alive and well. And this is my opinion, obviously, but I think this industry is going to be okay. Uh, I personally, we don't have a lot of study in the pipeline. Maybe we, had appro we will have approval for three studies that we are waiting to start. Mm -hmm. uh, but we fulfilled a lot of feasibilities, you're right. So maybe something else will show up. Yeah, I think like in the late summer, early fall, we're going to see a lot of uh, you know sites getting activated uh, for these new studies. What about monitoring? How are, how are you monitoring during this? We stopped uh, monitoring visits altogether. Uh, we're doing remote monitoring visits. Though it's really frustrating to me specifically because 
this is uh, taking a lot of work for us as a site. Scanning, right? All the documents. Yeah. I think uh, e-source is going to be something that... A solution. In this next decade, yeah. We use Creo for one of our sites. Oh, you do? Yeah, clinicalresource.io. So working okay? It actually works really good, especially I have a lot of clients who are using it now too, and they are... And they're also so they're site owners, but they're also CRAs, and so they're not always there to supervise their coordinators. But you can check it that way. Exactly, Perfect. you can check it on your phone and say, hey, then you can call the coordinator. I noticed, you know, this is not complete. What happened here? Um, so it's actually pretty cool for that. And for monitoring, it's also very good because you don't have to scan anything. I mean, everything right. is there. You know, it's so I see it as like. For sure, this next decade, eSource will become like the new EDC, uh, in my opinion. Just like when I entered the industry, it was still one more year of paper, and then the next year was literally every study was EDC. Um, it's going to be, I think, the same in three to five years, is my prediction for eSource. Maybe even earlier. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, but scanning the source documents, redacting, that's tough, especially with that many studies that you have. Yeah. I mean, your coordinators basically become full-time uh, document scanners. Don't like me in these moments. <laughs> that's another thing. How do you, It's very challenging to retain employees. Um, yes, it is. You know, you see it at academic centers all the time they go on to become CRAs or maybe they go on to become nurses or go to medical school. But at private sites, the temptation is for coordinators to want to go to CRA because the salary is higher. And right. there's really no way of stopping it. Like the way I do it with my staff is say, hey, if that's what you want to do, tell me, I'll help you get there. Just give me two years and you know I'll, I'll help you to get there. Uh, there's really no other way to combat this I think what are, what are your thoughts on this this is actually a very good question um, I guess we've been lucky uh, we don't have a lot of uh, people living uh, but we try to motivate them as well but these conversations definitely needs to be done uh, what's your plan for the future tell me I'll help you but if you want to stay with us you'll grow with us if you don't want to stay with us you want to do something else let me know and then I'll guide you but don't, you know, let me dry <laughs> one day. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. But, uh, we, my wife is actually very in charge of that, Amy, mm. of uh, helping out staff with whatever they need. Some more of a human resources uh, type. Human resources, there you are. That's good because, you know, I tell, I'm, I mean, I'm honest with all the employees. I tell them, look, even if you want to start your own clinic, like, I will help <laughs> you. I will help you do that. Just don't open it across the street, but uh, because if you do, you're not gonna succeed. But if you open it somewhere else, like far enough away, I could even help you out maybe, or maybe I could be like a minority partner if you want. And I've I learned that the hard wow. way because when I first started, again, what we talked about at the beginning, the first one to two years, you're learning everything. Like every mistake right. you can make, I made. I had coordinators. I had a busy clinic my first two years because I took over this clinic that was falling apart, but they had a bunch of studies, high enrolling, and easy to enroll. So I just started hiring. I hired my friend from college. He was good. Then I hired other people. Then they brought in their friends. 
pretty soon, like, I lost touch with them. Uh, and what happened, because I like to delegate everything to them. So, site selection visits, I say, hey, you go in there with the PI, you know what you're doing. I don't have time to be in the site selection visit. They'll give us the study anyways, just go in there. Well, you know what they did? They conspired with the one coordinator and the PI with the monitor during the site selection visit to do the study at their other site. And I was wow. there I was there in the <laughs> office, but no one told me, including the CRA, because I my fault. I didn't even introduce myself. I just was there. Do you know the what the, the solution to that is called NDA and non compete. I know. I know. But even that <laughs> even that is unenforceable really because you well, have you have depends. to sue somebody. You have to and that costs money, right? Right. That's true. That's the problem. That's the problem with those things. It's more of a like fear of like, hey, you signed fear. this so you can't do this. But if they actually do it and I discovered this weeks later that this happened. Right. Because I emailed the sponsor, hey, I'm following up on the site selection visit. I thought it went well. <laughs> what happened? And they said, oh, you know, it was like an in-house CRA that said, oh, yeah, we sent the startup packet. And I said, what, where? Because this was when they mailed your startup regulatory. Right. I said, where? Wow. I didn't get it. And they said, oh, well, what's your address? I told them, they're like, no, no, this is the address we have. So then I drove there <laughs> and I saw... These dudes have already have a clinic. It looked like in a ghetto place, but they already have a clinic. This is where all the stuff's going. So then I told the coordinator, "What are you doing?" You know, and she said, "Well, this PI, uh, you know, he said let's just do Hired this me. for ourselves." <laughs> Basically, this was in my second year of doing business. Wow. Luckily, luckily it was not my only PI or my only coordinator. Um, I actually kept the coordinator. I fired her friend because her friend was the one that actually <laughs> did all this. Um, and I kept her and I said, look, don't do this. If you want to go with them, go with them. If you're going to stay here, you got to do it with me. And she said, no, I'm going to stay here. It was more secure. And they went on and did that. It didn't work out. But, man, I learned like from then, hey, next time I hire somebody, I'm going to talk to them. Like, hey, if you really want to do this, just let me know. I mean, this is like a... The definitely weird stuff. I noticed uh, some CRAs, uh, because that's a mistake of the CRA. You can't have a site selection visit in one place, and then suddenly you do site initiation visit somewhere else. But whatever. I wasn't in that I, room. I won't be surprised to see any, anything. <laughs> I'm not surprised either. I wasn't in that room, and who knows how the PI justified yeah. it. And I never, it was my fault. I never introduced myself to the CRA. I had a similar situation with two PIs that they left, but okay, that's there. It happens, it happens. But, it, you know, like keeping the coordinators, this is like a radical example of transparency. Like I actually, when I interview someone, I hire based on do I think this person is honest and upfront with me? Not necessarily their skill right. set. Because their skill set I can yeah, teach Yeah, because them. you can teach them. Exactly. Honesty Try teaching honesty to somebody that's not honest. It's not going to happen. That's a very good point. Wow. I, I learned the hard way. We haven't had this problem since that I know of. Maybe it's happening. I just don't know. But uh, yeah, so that's interesting. very interesting. We keep our sites small, though. So we're like the opposite yeah. of you. Like we have many small sites that probably do between six to ten studies per year. 
uh, but they're all over LA. Uh, technically, they compete with each other, but not really, and we try to have different indications, but our bread and butter is psychiatry. Um, so that's the strategy here that we have and honestly if a coordinator like wants to go somewhere else because they moved now they have probably one of our other sites there that they can go to so it's been we've done a lot of that too there's advantages to both the big site and then a bunch of the small sites pros and cons just like with everything else have you ever considered like doing small sites, like little sites here and there, just to like protect yourself more from Miami? Like maybe doing uh, something in an, uh, Orlando or some somewhere else. I have considered it. Uh, we had proposals, but I'm a little bit worried because I can't practically control it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it, it comes to the trust. I mean, I really wanted things to be done right, and. I don't know if they're done right if I'm not there. That's right. I guess one of the good things about being in L.A. area is I can drive, you know, it's a huge... To any one of them. Yeah, this is a jungle here. Like, you can drive and there's other sites you're passing, but you can still get there within the day. Um, In other places, it's a little bit different. You can't do that um, as much. But, yeah, very interesting to talk to other site owners about uh, their, their strategies for for uh, growing because initially I was on the same course hey let's get a big site but then think the way things started playing out I think it honestly had a lot to do with the YouTube um, when I started that people started approaching me about little opportunities so then I would just invest with them and pretty soon it became this like you know little uh, islands here and there of sites that we have so it worked out that way but nice. the big site the big site works well because you can eventually do like you know more phase one and then it's it's always nice to establish yourself as like the dominant player in your space as opposed to just another site we're trying for that uh, let's see how it goes. Yeah, I agree. Anything else that we missed during this? Uh, what are your thoughts on I'm virtual trials? I'm sure we trial? missed a lot of things. Virtual trials, what uh, are your thoughts? The, the sponsors love virtual see? trials. <laughs> they want sightless. They're calling uh, it sightless trials. It's, it's, I'm offended, yeah, um, actually. I'm actually offended, too. <laughs> I would call it that's a lot of bull. Can you say that on YouTube? I don't know. You can say anything. But, uh, anything. <laughs> I don't think that has any future, but maybe I'm too optimistic. <laughs> I don't know. Well, in my opinion, you can have no no good data, no good relationship, nothing in a virtual trial. But that's my opinion. See, that's my opinion too. But our uh, naysayers, which are many, would tell us, "Well, <laughs> you know, we're too invested in what we're doing to see this as a." reality uh, right yeah. and i understand i understand i actually had a conversation with one cro that we're doing this for uh and the way they explained it to me i don't know if i believe them but the way they explained it to me is with our virtual trials these are studies that are not meant to replace this our traditional studies these are meant to supplement <laughs> that's how everything studies. starts <laughs> that's how it starts that's what i'm thinking too but the way they explained it was so good it's like okay i understand the the theory of it like the sponsor yeah. basically is enrolling the patients themselves maybe through a cro the problem with that is patients don't trust big pharma or even little pharma patients trust their doctors 
Uh, so I think you can't really replace this and just have one PI in every state that's going to see all these patients yeah. virtually. I mean, that, that, to me, it's idiotic. We have um, a good relationship with our patients. They trust us. We're like family. I mean, honestly. And then um, I was at one of these conferences a couple of years ago. Um, one of the big pharma had a presentation how virtual trials are going to be everywhere. Oh, no, they were doing something else. They were trying That's to every do conference, every visits conference in Walgreens. Yes, in, in yes, I remember that one. <laughs> it's like, okay, sure, go for it. I mean, it's going to be a total disaster. Well, the proponents of it say that there's a place for it, and it's not meant to replace traditional trials. I'm actually more on that bandwagon now. I, because some of those studies it is possible to do like at Walgreens in theory because the only assessment is like a nasal swab or like a saliva right. sample. Okay, I guess right. you could do that there like at Walmart. The, um, I don't think you can do the studies we're talking about with these complicated inclusion-exclusion criteria where you have 80 to 90 of these studies and really only putting like three right. patients in each one. So I don't think that's right. going to be virtual. I don't think it even makes sense to have those be virtual. Well, yeah, maybe you're right. And some smaller studies will make more sense to be done that way. I don't know. Only time will tell. But I've one thing I've noticed is if the industry really wants something, it will happen, even if it becomes yeah. a failure. <laughs> they will push for it. So virtual well, trials. Well, just uh, for note, we did get virtual certified. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we get virtual certified <laughs> because there's elements. So then there's the whole thing of the hybrid trials. You know, you still have the sites, right. but then. Every other assessment, every other visit is done at the patient home through telehealth. Um, right. I don't know. that The jury's still out on that. It makes sense during this pandemic because patients right. are not comfortable coming to the site right. or whatever. But it doesn't make sense during normal times unless you have patients in very rural places that can't travel. Um, but then the right. problem always becomes, how do you get that patient interested in a study? Like, is uh, is Pfizer going to call them? Or are they going to watch an ad on TV and call? I mean, maybe. But I don't think patients trust pharma. I mean, they really don't. It's going to be very hard. Maybe it's a combination would do would do would work. Yeah. Oh, who knows? Who knows? In 10 years, we'll know better, I think. And uh, in 10 years, our jobs may be different, but they'll still be the same. Uh, it's just, you know, more e-source, e-patient reported outcomes. I could see how the temptation is to call that virtual, but you still need <laughs> the site and the patient care at some point. And I know research is not supposed to be patient care, but it really is. I mean... But, uh, I mean, this is a very good point that you're making. I've always been advocating that research is patient care. Hmm. I really don't get the concept, oh, we're not patient care, they clients or whatever. Subjects. Uh, subjects. subjects. <laughs> tell them they're subjects. I mean, I honestly have more problems explaining that to anybody. Plus, uh, we deal with a lot of uninsured patients that we actually care about them and make them better. Even if they are on placebo, they receive more care, more treatment, and more tests than otherwise. Absolutely true. I mean, we deal, you know, with psych 
you have a lot of patients Medicare doesn't cover almost anything and these psych patients don't even go to their appointments um, that's the nature of the illnesses uh, we've discovered right. you know how many times we've discovered in a patient you have hepatitis you have HIV you don't know this like we're the ones who found right. it because they're in a study because they're not even getting their well, I have done. the same observations totally true so in some way it is care even if they're screen fail you know you're giving them their results and saying hey go see your doctor give them these here's a copy of your lab results in many cases is care because what are you going to do like we have patients with low hemoglobin we need to give him some therapy you know just can drop him on the street go to emergency care well depends on the situation but uh yeah we have responsibility for our patients uh, 100%. Dr. Nikolov, it's been a pleasure, uh, a very good podcast, and a lot of entertaining, informative, and tactical things people can take away. Uh, I guess there's a lot of different people that are going to be listening or interested in this. I'm, I feel a lot of them are people that want to start sites, and I feel that a smaller percentage are people that already run sites. Uh, in either case, you want to network with Dr. Nikolov. His LinkedIn profile will be in the show notes. And uh, it doesn't hurt to network with people. Like, what is your? Th- I guess we can end sure. with this. What is your feelings on networking? Because I know some sites, you know, they don't want to share any studies. And I know other sites, complete opposite. They're like, yeah, you share with us. We'll share with you studies. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, I'm totally about sharing and discussing um, situations, discussing even studies as far as the confidentiality agreements and definitely sharing studies because um, we need to work together. I think that actually the future is going to be not so much on individual sites, but more of a bigger, I guess, corporation, multi-sites. Like site networks. Like site networks. I think that's a perfect way to end this. Uh, some food for thought for everybody who's on board. So thank you very much again, Dr. Nicolo. Thank you, Dan. Uh, and we'll have links again to where you can connect with him in the show notes. Thank you, everybody. Stay well. Talk to you later. So hey, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, And also go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, You can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.